Hey, welcome to Faith and Culture. This is episode two, where we're looking at, we're diving into things with our faith, of course, but how they impact our culture, and then how do we apply our faith to our culture in the place we find ourselves today. My guest today is Bill Wells, mayor of El Cajon. Well, welcome, Bill. I'm so glad that you're joining oh, us today. I'm happy to be here. This is fun. Well, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. One, let's start off with your faith journey. Did you okay. grow up in a church home? How did you come to Christ? All of that. No, my my family was uh, horribly dysfunctional. I, <clears throat> I like to joke, if there was a dysfunctional family in the Olympics, we, we would have definitely won gold. Um, <clears throat> both my parents were atheists, and I grew up that way. And I didn't really think about faith until I was <clears throat> probably in high school. I, I had a, a, a friend of mine who was dating this girl, and I, I would oftentimes get rides with them. So we would oftentimes end up at her house. And of course, they, they would go off and do what they would do. And <clears throat> I would uh, be sitting there waiting for them to come back. And, and Kathy's dad was there. And he was such an interesting guy because he was sick. He, he was dying of cancer. And he looked really sick. And you would think he'd be miserable. Happiest guy I ever met. Just a super happy guy. And you know, I was talking to him. He was telling me about his life. He had been a a fighter pilot in World War II, and then he uh, was a, a missionary pilot, and then he was a pastor, and he had written books. And while he was going through his terminal cancer treatment, <clears throat> he was attending law school, and um, you know he was going to finish his law degree, and wow. just super happy. And <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of times what, what you'll see with with Christians is non Christians are, t are really um, interested in that; they're they're attracted mm -hmm. to that feature. And so I, I started talking to him more and more. And, uh, you know, he just uh, slowly and quietly kind of figured out who I was and started giving me some things to read. Hmm. And, you know, I was never a particularly emotional person. I, my faith has never been a real emotional faith. And so I think that Jim, Jim Brewster was the man I'm talking about, he understood that. So he gave me some books on prophecy. Hmm. And I really dug into prophecy. And I remember the, the night when it really kind of clicked with me. I was reading about Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel, and, and I kind of figured that prophecy was like the Nostradamus-type prophecies, like, yeah. you know, a, a bird flies in the night and screeches out, and you know, everybody says, oh, that means this. And I was like, yeah. oh, no, you know, that can mean anything. Right. But the Daniel prophecies were so incredibly specific, and I just remember it all kind of clicked with me. I said, oh, my gosh, this is real. And if this is real, the rest of it's real. Mm. And it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, uh, tell in that moment you accepted the Lord, or was that kind of part of the journey? And then, yeah, I think it was. I, I went back and talked to uh, Jim Brewster yeah. about it, and he said, you know, hey, you should come to my church. And I, I went. To, I started going to his church, and then, you know, a few uh, few weeks later, I, I I went and answered an altar call. Okay, and so then from that journey, where did that lead you? So that's. That's high school, basically, right? And then post-high so school? So I was 17, so it was, yeah. yeah, my last year of high school. Okay, and then where did that take you after high school? What did you do? So, you know, I went to San Diego State, and I think I did what a lot of young people did. I kind of tried to live a foot in both worlds, sure. a, a foot in the Christian world and a yeah, foot been in, there. The, yep. in the uh, uh, secular world. Mm -hmm. um, graduated from San Diego State pretty early and didn't want to go to work, so I, I've always been a musician. So I, I, I got an offer to go on the road and uh, travel with a band back east. Cool. And so I did that. And, of course, um, you know, as I got more into that world, I 
Christianity became less of a, a part of my real life and more of sure. a kind of a concept. You know, I, I still would call myself a Christian, but I wasn't really living a Christian lifestyle. Sure. Yeah. And then I ended up in Hollywood, and I was working as a musician in Hollywood and um, falling further and further away from faith. And, and finally, at, at one point, I realized I was losing my soul mm. and kind of <clears throat> reconstituted and, and got back and told God, I'll stop doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. Was there something in particular that um, in a moment <laughs> where you're like, man, I'm really losing it, or was just that, that sense of dryness, or what was it that caused you to go, <clears throat> I need to get back to the Lord? You know, I think it was a, a culmination of a lot of things. It wasn't one specific yeah, event. It, event. Mm-hmm. it was just, I think you wake up one day and you realize everybody I know is empty, and everything I do is empty, and everything is so vapid, and it, it's so meaningless. Yeah. And I saw older people than me in Hollywood in the, in the business, and they were miserable human beings. I did not want to end up like that. Yeah. And so um, ended up coming back to San Diego and uh, went and got my, uh, started off getting an RN because I, I thought that that would be a good way to kind of mix a career in music and, yeah. and have a job that I actually make money and pay the rent. Yeah. <clears throat> and then um, eventually went and got my doctorate in psychology and um, got married. What, what was the desire there in psychology? What, what caused you to go out in that route? <clears throat> so it wasn't something I chose at all. And a lot of people think it would be because um, I mentioned earlier my family was pretty dysfunctional. My father, uh, who I was very close to, a great guy, um, he committed suicide when I was eight. Oh, wow. And he had... Um, he had alcohol problems and, I guess, depression problems, although I didn't know it at the time. Mm. So you think that would be the motivating factor, but it really wasn't. I, I was going to school, and somebody said, you want to work at a psychiatric hospital? There's a, I got a job. <clears throat> and I said, I, I think that's the last thing I'd want to do is work at a psychiatric hospital. I said, no, it's great. You hang out with the psych patients. You play foosball with them. You play volleyball with them. You watch movies with them. It's awesome. <laughs> and it, I, I said, okay, I'll you know, sign me up. And I, and I did it. And it. It really was that way. But also, I ended up talking to people a lot and working through their problems with them and found that I really liked psych patients. I liked huh. working in psychology and psychiatry. It was mostly psychiatry, actually. Okay. And so then when it came to getting an advanced degree, I thought, yeah, I'll just stick with this. This is where God put me. I'll, I'll stay here. Yeah, okay. So you're doing that. And then... Um... How did that lead into a political career? What 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 was that transition? And- <clears throat> oh boy, that, that's that's you know there's there's kind of two stories I tell about this. That you know one of the sanitized uh, version, and I'll, I'll give you the real one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's kind of a long story, but it starts way back when I first met my wife Betty, and um, we went out to dinner, and. We were talking, and I said, you know, there's this book I'm reading. She said, The Screwtape Letters? I said, how, how did you know that? She said, oh, I just guessed. And <clears throat> as we were going along, she would do this to me all the time. These, these, and <clears throat> so when we first <clears throat> got married, I, the first day that we were back from our honeymoon, she woke me up in the middle of the night, and she said, hey, wake up. You're going to get a job at a church. And I said, what are you talking about? I just, I just... <laughs> I had just got my RN. I was I was working at a hospital, oh, wow. and I <clears throat> I said oh, I I got a great job at a hospital. I'm not going to go work at a church, and, and she said you are. And I said okay, we'll go back to sleep. Three days later, a pastor I had never met before called me up and said, Hey, I hear you're a pretty good piano player. I said, Well, thank you. He said, Would you like to to be my 
worship director. And I said, well, I said, you know, I can't. I, I got this new job. He goes, no. He goes, we're a small church. I only need you on Wednesday night and uh, Sunday mornings. And I think he offered me $600 a month, which my, was my rent at that point. So that was like a big deal. Yeah. And by Friday, she had woken me up on a Sunday night. By Friday afternoon, I, I had uh, shook hands on <laughs> getting this job at church. So I, you know, I said, how do you know these things? And, and she said, you know, I don't know. And she goes, I just... She said, God talks to me. I know mm. people think it's, it's odd. And I said, so, you know, what's going to happen next? And she said, it doesn't work that way. I, I have no idea. Wow. You know, and <clears throat> that kind of set me up for kind of believing her. Yeah. Because here comes the, the punchline. Later on, we had, um, I had done pretty well. I, I had started my own research company, and we, we had, we're making a bunch of money and we're doing really well. We're living up in Alpine, a big house, nice cars, the whole thing. And everything fell apart all at the same time. I, mm. My research company, uh, we got sued and the whole thing was, everybody was running for the hills and the whole thing was disbanding. And then I had a, also a job as a hospital administrator and that they fired me because they, they brought in a new company to run the hospital. So, they, so I, I go from making a lot of money to making like zero money. Mm. And even if I got a job, I, I would never be able to pay the mortgage or the car payment. And I just was thinking, how, how are you? And on top of that, we had some family things happening that were pretty devastating. So it just felt like my whole world was falling apart. And I was probably about as low as I'd ever been. And I'm not going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> And um, Betty, who's very faithful, would go into the closet every day and pray. And she would come out of the closet. And one day she came out of the closet and said, um, I heard from God. I said, great. What are we going to do? She said, you're supposed to run for office. Hmm. And I said, that's the stupidest thing <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. That, that is ridiculous. I, I said, I'm not doing that. She yeah. said, you have to. I said, No. I am that I have no interest in that. I don't yeah. want to do that. But she, you know, she's a persistent woman and she kept after me. And she um she <laughs> wanted me to call Pastor Garlo, mm -hmm. who I didn't know. We had we, that was so that was 25 years ago, and I had just started attending wow, okay. church at this time. Yeah. And so Jim didn't know me at all. So I called his office and I said, you know, and I'm not into it. I'm like, I talked to Tracy and and I, I said, uh, you know, I'd like to make an appointment to see Pastor Garlo. And, and she said, well, what's it about? And I just said, well, I'm interested in talking about getting involved in politics. So she sends me back an email and says, you know, Pastor Jim can't meet with you right now, but he wants you to call this, this other person. I'm like, oh, great. You know, so I call this other guy, and I meet with him, and he finds my story super compelling. And I said, so, you know, what can I do? Can I stuff envelopes? Can I help on a campaign? He said, no, you should run for office. And um, so then I ran, I'm just, now at this point I'm just going with this. So I ran for school board and lost. I ran the worst campaign in the history of campaigns. I lost to a, like an 85 year old woman with, with full on dementia. Oh. And, <clears throat> and she still beat me. <laughs> but she had, she, you know, she had been on the school board for like 30 years. So I, oh, you know, okay. she had name recognition. Yeah. But, and I thought, well, that's, that's, you know, weird. I mean, I'm supposed to do this. God's asked me to do this, and then it didn't work out. I didn't win. But somebody called me and said, hey, you know, you, I like the things you said in the campaign, 
would you be interested in being a planning commissioner on the Elkhorn City Council for the city? I don't even know what that was. Hmm. It's kind of like the minor leagues of city council. Mm -hmm. And so I signed up for that, and I did that for a couple of years, and then you started learning the political process a little bit. Learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot to it. Yeah, and. Um, then there was an opportunity to run for city council, and 12 people ran, and I put my name in. I ran a decent campaign that time, and I won. And so that's kind of how and it started. And how many were on the council? 12, you said? Or the 12 spots, or 12 people well, ran? Well, the 12 people ran for one spot. For one spot. Okay. Yeah. It's always very competitive. People really, and it's kind of, it's interesting, going back to the kind of the prophetic nature of this. Um, I know people that have been trying to get on council their entire adult life. Wow. They, you know, they, they go to every meeting and lunch they can possibly go to, and they just can't make it happen for some reason. Hmm. I just, you know, say, okay, I'm going to do it, and like, bing, bang, boom, I'm on the council, and then um, our, a couple years later, our mayor had some problems, had to resign, and I filled in for him for the last year, and then I ran for mayor, and I'm, I'm mayor, and, you know, it, to... To do that relatively easily with, without a, a whole lot of trouble yeah. uh, was pretty unheard of. People were, were really surprised. And I, I, you know, I kind of attribute that to this being God's plan for my life. Certainly. I mean, he obviously opened those doors and cleared some of those paths. But I think it's also an encouragement to people that are watching, as we've been saying on Sundays, get involved, right? Get involved, get involved, get involved. And um, you don't have to have uh, a whole lot of knowledge, obviously, you want to learn, you want to grow, but if you have that willingness to learn and grow, um, God will guide you. And we need more people to get involved, obviously, with what's going on in our culture today. And this is a great testimony of that. You, you were willing. Is it okay? You know? One thing I would say to, to that point is that I, I think I often looked at elected officials as being kind of significantly better than I was. Mm -hmm. you know, I figured that they were like super smart and, and much more refined than, than I was. And ha you know, getting involved in the political process, um, I realize that that's just not the case. Um, there are some really intelligent people that do this, some really wonderful people that do this, but there are some people that really fall below the bar that are in pretty- oh, certainly seeing that in Washington, D.C. Pretty high levels of yeah. position. It, the one thing I've really come is, is the, the same kind of mix of people that you see in any job is pretty much like the mix of people you see in politics. So there's room for anybody who wants to do it. But I don't think you should. It's kind of like being a pastor. Yeah. I don't know that you should do it unless you feel called because it's a, it's a lot of sacrifice. Sure. No, that's a good point. You, you should try to discern that call and how to get involved in the different opportunities that might be out there. And Yeah, that's a good call. So now as mayor of El Cajon, you are in the middle of a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of um, uh, almost targeting, if you will, as we've noticed in the news, of course, you've been on locally on the news, KUSI, but then even nationally with Fox News picking up the story on our county board of supervisors and shipping out more and more homeless. Obviously, I've talked about it on a Sunday, but if you go downtown, it's a disaster in yep. so many places downtown. It was built around that stadium beautifully, and uh, I know my family, we love going downtown, and we have for a long time. But in the last couple of years, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. More and more homeless, more and more um, just degradation of the downtown landscape. And we walked down there not too long ago, and the smell was so overwhelming. 
of just feces and urine and everything on the sidewalks. And it was a real disappointment to me. I grew up here in San Diego. I love San Diego. And it's a beautiful city. And it's getting ruined currently. And now with the big problem, because we have such liberal politics in the city of San Diego, and the homeless are just taking over, just just all over. And, and it's like they're shipping them in to San Diego, maybe because of the weather and, and, and everything else. It's liberal policies. And it's getting so overwhelming down there. It looks bad for our mayor uh, of San Diego that it seems the county starts shipping them out east where there's conservative politics. Sure. And you're in the middle of this. What You notice some things going on in the hotel. You notice an uptick in crime and some other things. Explain kind of what you guys started <clears throat> noticing and then what that led to. Well, I, mean, I think the first thing you should know is that we're very aware of the homeless situation in a very intimate way. We know everybody who's homeless on the street. We know their faces. We, in the most part, we know their names. Mm -hmm. and the police know where they hang out and what their, what their routines are. So when we start seeing new faces on the street, mm -hmm. it, it brings up some red flags. And we were seeing a lot of new faces and a lot, of, a lot more crime. And the police started doing some asking around. And they were asking people, where are you from? They said, well, I'm from National City. I'm from Chula Vista. I'm from downtown San Diego. How did you get here? Oh, the sheriff's deputy dropped me off, or uh, somebody from the county staff dropped me off. They, they put me up in this hotel. So we started doing some digging, and we found out that the county was using a homeless voucher program to place people in our hotel rooms. And we knew about the voucher program, but we assumed that it would be, you know, five, six, maybe ten people coming in, and that they would be spread out throughout the entire region. Yeah. What we found, it was 185 people in our hotels. Wow. One of our hotels was 100% filled with uh, homeless vouchers. A couple of them were 75% filled with homeless vouchers. Five of them were over 25% filled with homeless vouchers. So we called up the, the county and said, hey, what are you doing? And they said, you know, basically they stonewalled us. They're not going to answer any of our questions. They said, if you have questions, send them to us in writing. We're not going to meet with you. We're not going to talk to you. We said, you know, what, what kind of cooperation is that? I mean, we're two government agencies. We should be able to talk to each other. In the same county. That's yeah. That's the thing. <clears throat> and they, all they could say was, look, this is a perfectly legal, legitimate process, and, you know, don't question it. So we started looking into it, ran the numbers, and found out that even though El Cajon represents about 3% of the population of San Diego County, the homeless voucher program was 45% in El Cajon. And I started asking the questions, well, are, are these people in Salada Beach? Are they in right. Del Mar, Encinitas, right. Carmel Mountain? And you know the answer of that of is not. zero. Mm -hmm. In fact, we even found out that where there were eight hotels in El Cajon, there were only two hotels in San Diego, which is 13 times our size. And so we started feeling like there was some in inequity happening here. And yeah. so we started asking for um, the county to answer some questions. Of course, they wouldn't. So I just said, you know what, I'm just going to call a press conference. I'm going to use the power of the press to put pressure on them and, and ask why. Why are we the homeless dumping ground? Why are you trying to turn us into a ghetto? Yeah. And that's how that whole firestorm started. What did they do from there? Um, obviously, the, the news gained some attention, and they came out with a statement. But what, what happened after that? Well, Nathan Fletcher came out and attacked me personally. Yeah. Um, said that I was the failed leader of a failed city, that I was um, – a fraud and uh, use some other adjectives, which, you know, is very un unprofessional. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I think it's perfectly legitimate <clears throat> for a mayor of a city to protect the 
people that live in his city and say, hey, right. wait a second, you can't treat us unfairly. I don't right. think there's anything so, strange about that. Well, but, and you'd said it. You, it's not like you weren't doing your part. El Cajon's doing their part because you mentioned the number of homeless <coughs> that you are taking care of. Well, that, you know, I, I think I should, I should mention that. You know, we spend more money per capita on homeless services than any other jurisdiction in San Diego County. Right. We have more homeless beds per capita than any other jurisdiction in San Diego County. Mm -hmm. San Diego County, who is complaining about us not doing our part, they have zero homeless shelters. We have three. Yeah. So, you know, we, we thought there was some disingenuous happening. So what happened next was we sent out uh, notices to the hotels and said, look, guys, you're in violation of your conditional use permit. Conditional use permit says you're a hotel. You're acting as a homeless shelter. You can't do that. You've got to reduce the number of homeless vouchers to 25% or less, or you're in violation of your conditional use permit. If you'd like to come back and apply to be a homeless shelter, then go ahead. Go. We, can, we can do that. So we felt like our attorneys said, yeah, you're definitely within the law to do that. We, everything's fine with that. The county of San Diego called Rob Bonta's office. Rob Bonta is the attorney general of California. They called us without doing an investigation, without even asking our side of the story. They called us and said, we're sending you a cease and desist, desist letter. You're in violation of the Fair Housing Act. You're um, in violation of people's uh, gay and lesbian rights, the violation of their transgender rights. You're, uh, you're in violation of anti-discrimination, racist laws. All the trigger words. Just throw <clears throat> yeah. them all in there. Yeah. And we said, how can you say that? Have you done an investigation? Have you, you know, have you talked to anybody in our staff or our police department? Or, we don't have to. <clears throat> and um, basically, they, they said that they would throw the full weight and force of the uh, mm. state of California, which is pretty formidable. Yeah. And <clears throat> so we had to kind of pull back those uh, requests from the hotels. And that's kind of where we are right now. Now, we have fired back. We have, fi uh, we have um, filed a lawsuit with HUD, Housing and Urban Development. It's a federal. Um, yeah. There are federal laws that say you can't, a, a municipality can't try to funnel a group of people for racial reasons or for, or for poverty reasons into a certain city. You know, that's how they made ghettos, right? Right. And they made laws about that so that you couldn't do that. And, and, and that's what they're doing. And we said, this is exactly what you're doing. You're, you're taking all your homeless people and you're funneling them into one city. Mm. It just happens to be one of the few conservative cities in your jurisdiction, a city that you don't like and you don't like their mayor. So, you know, that's a coincidence, I'm sure. But That's what bothers, you know, <laughs> people that follow this stuff. You see that and, and we are one of the few conservative areas that are – that are still holding true to these conservative values as we see our kids being mutilated in our schools and all this indoctrination that's happening in our public schools. And here we have this, this area we're still holding on and they are obviously uh, attacking this area. Not only that, but the sexual predators they send out east. They're not sending them to Del Mar. <clears throat> they're not sending them up north in those jurisdictions. They send them east where we are. Would you be surprised to know that 87% of sexual predators are sent to these counties? Yeah, 87%. It, I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with out here. And it's like there's nobody coming around saying, 
let, let's, let's make this fair and equitable, which is their big word, right? Let, everything has to be fair and equitable. And it's like, no, it doesn't, because we're the ones taking it all out here east. And it's clearly a political issue because of people like yourself that are standing up and saying, no, enough's enough. And it's going to keep happening until we get these people out of office, clearly. And so what's next? What, what is it looking like? You, you, you said um, you're going to file a lawsuit on that. And I mean, your job is to protect the people uh, of El Cajon and you're doing everything you can. Um, what's, what's coming next? You know, the only thing interesting on the horizon right now is we're working with the um, San Diego Rescue Mission. Yeah. I'm interested in working with them because they're a faith-based program. Mm -hmm. And not just their faith-based program, but they really understand what causes homelessness. You know, the, the Housing First people will tell you that homelessness is only because people are down on their luck, that rents are too high, and people don't have enough money. Right. Um, having worked in emergency rooms, uh, uh, doing psychiatric evaluations, I can tell you from firsthand experience that everybody I ran into who was homeless had a substance abuse problem. Yeah. If you ask any police officer, any paramedic, any ER doc, ER nurse, they'll tell you everybody that's homeless has a substance abuse problem. So what the Sandy Rescue Mission gets, and by the way, East County Transitional Living Center out in right. Elkhorn, they both get it, that you've got to treat the substance abuse problem or you'll never get to people, you'll never change behavior unless you do that. And I also happen to believe that having the opportunity to hear about the gospel and, and to live a, a faith-based life makes it certainly a lot more indicative of success. Yeah, and you're someone that's qualified to be able to speak to that because sometimes I'll get pushback when I talk about, you know, the fact is, like what you just said, it's a substance abuse issue. And so in San Diego, and correct me if I'm wrong, in San Diego right now, if a homeless person wanted help, and they wanted to get back on their feet. They could go to a rescue mission. They can go to many different places and get a roof over their head, get meals, and Within get job training. Hours. Within a few hours, they can get job training. Absolutely. Everybody that we see on our streets in El Cajon, our, my police chief tells me that he believes that everybody's been approached about 12 times. Yeah. And that's begging people, hey, man, get off. let's get you out of the street. You don't have to live this way. And... I can tell you from working in the ER, I would say that to people all the time. And they, they would say, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do meth and, and I want to I do meth. I can't do meth in those places. They yeah. won't let me. Yep. And that's what it's all about. And, look, you, you know, it's not, it's not a pejorative. It's not me saying you're a bad person because you're a drug addict. Because, right. like, I come from a family that's all alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. I, I love people that are, have addiction problems. It's not a problem for me to love somebody who has an addiction problem. But it is a problem, and if you ignore the problem, or, or even worse, you, you, you say, well, that's not really the problem. Let's look at this other thing. We'll spend a, you know, a trillion dollars trying to fix a problem that's not really the problem. Yeah. We're never going to get anywhere. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to get off the streets, you can get off the streets. And that's, I think that's one of the things that I really want people to know more than anything, is that this is not because people don't have options. It's because they choose to do this. And California, for the past 20 years, has made a concerted effort to change the laws to make homelessness incredibly attractive and easy. Yeah. Do you know that California has 161,000 homeless people, according to the, um, the federal, uh, I forgot the name of the agency, but mm -hmm. according to the feds, 161,000. The next largest state 
Texas and New York, both with 27,000. Wow, there you go. Hawaii has 6,000. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, well, they all come to California because of the climate. So, well, there's only 6,000 people in Hawaii. Yeah. There's only, like, I think 8,000 people in um, Arizona. The climate in Arizona is not that much different than the climate in California. Mm -hmm. No, the reason they're here is because in California, you can't be arrested for using drugs. You can't be arrested for selling drugs. You can't be arrested for stealing up to $950 worth of merchandise a day. You can't be <clears throat> arrested for vagancy. You can't be told you can't panhandle. You can't even be told you can't steal shopping carts yeah. and fill them. So, and you can, we'll give you a generous amount of money every month, plus food stamps, plus all the psychiatric hospitals you can go to and say you're suicidal and get off the streets for a couple of days. Yeah. So they've, they've basically incentivized and made it very easy to be homeless and say, look, if you don't want to work and you want to spend the rest of your life strung out doing drugs, come to California. We want you here. This is the place to be. Uh, and, and that's what they're doing. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing, whether it's downtown, whether it's in other places that they, you know, they're basically, like you said, they, these policies are welcoming them in. And so when I speak on it or, you know, we talk about it in any form, there's always people that think we're being unloving, you know. And it's like you said, it, we're, that's not it. We actually love them so much that we're willing to, you know, there's got to be a, at some point you got to have some tough love in there to say, you know what, I love you so much. That I, this is the best option for you to get help, to get clean, to get, <laughs> stop being addicted, all these things. And I, California is so right now, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's our fault in that sense in California because we're giving them all these things. I mean, even in San Francisco, when they were providing alcohol in hotel rooms and things that they were doing for the homeless up there, you're going, are we actually... It, our current regime and, and, and political leaders, are they actually trying to ruin this state? You look at how they are. They are ruining the state. And why? What is the point to all this at the end of the day? Well, that, that's a philosophical question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I believe that whether they're doing it knowingly or unknowingly, they're, <clears throat> they're committed to dismantling uh, American society. Yeah, you know, I totally to, agree. To yep. Take it down to its studs and rebuild it as a communist paradise. Yep. Yep, and we certainly are seeing that. And, and Without God, by the way, because oh, for sure. God's, God gets in the way of everybody's fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you, you see it, and we've, we've talked about it from the front, is, is you can have a drag queen day in our public schools, but to think about having a, a day of the Bible or a prayer day is out of the question, just completely out of the question. And you look at that, and you just show. You can see how evil is taking over. And whenever evil people are in charge, that's what happens. You know, our, our society goes down the tubes. And so um, thank you for standing up. Thank you for fighting um, for righteousness and for peace and for protecting the people of El Cajon. You know, that's something that you know, God's called you to do that. And for such a time as this, that's not easy. That's not easy. And you must take a lot of heat for you that. You know, I got to tell you, it doesn't bother me a bit. Good. It, it, it really started with COVID. Yeah. Um, because I think that... I was more, more nervous about stepping outside of the boundary lines before COVID. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, COVID happened. We, we don't have to rehash all that. But <clears throat> I got to that point pretty quickly a couple months in where I realized that we've been duped, that this is not what they sold us. Yep. And a lot of people are getting seriously hurt. And I think being a psychologist and being in mental health, I think people know that. And so they reach out to me in different ways than they might like some of the other mayors. So I had people reaching out to me saying they were suicidal, that their, their family was falling apart, that there was drug and alcohol addiction and violence and all these problems. And I thought, I have to do something. Mm 
And I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and uh, I kind of came up with a decision that I would ask our police department not to enforce any COVID regulations. <clears throat> and I remember telling my wife about it and saying, you know this is political suicide. You know that I'm done after this. I, I, <clears throat> they will blame every death for the next three years on me. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> there's no way to defend it. But I felt like I had to do it, and I did it anyway. <clears throat> Excuse me. And exactly the opposite thing happened. Instead of, uh, I mean, I, I got condemnation from the left. They call me COVID Bill, and they, you yeah. know, like Dr. Death, and you know, blah, oh, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. But the people, they, it, it was, the outpouring of love and, and, and warmth from the people was just overwhelming. Mm. And it was all kind of based, it had a, a common theme was that I was hopeless. And I thought that I was the only one who felt this way. I felt like I was crazy. Yeah. And then you get on KUSI and say, somebody who's an authority, say, yeah, I think the same thing. And I, and I, I think it's wrong. I think we've got to fight, stand up again. And it gave people hope. And um, so it's kind of funny. I, I, I did something that I don't think anybody else did in, in San Diego County. And I know that all the, my fellow politicians thought I was completely nuts. Yeah. But it worked out really well, and uh, it kind of gave me the courage now that just uh, I'm just going to do whatever I think is right and let the chips fall. And that's what you got to do. When you look at what you're doing as a mayor, you, you are pastoring the people in that sense. Uh, we did the same thing, of course, here with opening early at Skyline because we wanted to help people. We had to help people. And when people are suffering, you do everything you can to alleviate the suffering of people. And so we open. Same idea. People are, you're crazy. You know, and even the county giving a cease and desist yeah, You're going to have a, a million dollars worth of fines. And yes. you're, you're going to be dragged off in handcuffs. Yep. And Remember, gonna, we talked about that. We, yeah. But people are like, Yo, you know, is pastor going to end up in, in county jail? And Yep. Yeah. And we were thinking about taking offerings for my bail and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and all that. And it was... But again, it goes back to doing what's right for the people, no matter what the culture says or the government. Same, the same thing that happened to me happened to, to you and the church in a way. I, how many people do I talk to every week who, who I say, oh, I haven't met you before. I say, oh, yeah, we just started coming here about a year ago, you know, about a year and a half ago during, you know, during the shutdown. Yep. And then we stayed. And the church is just blowing up and expanding. And there's so much life and so many people getting saved. And I think it has to do <clears throat> with... Re a reward for doing the right thing, for being courageous. I think God absolutely expects us to be courageous. I mean, everybody sells this soft, kind of weak, yeah. beta male Bible, yep. and and I don't I don't read it that way. I I, I read when I read God's word, I, he's he's saying like, be stronger than everybody, be yeah. be more courageous than everybody. Don't worry about anything. And, and be ready for the fight, right? The Bible's yeah, yeah. very and, clear and on that. Yeah, get into it. Mix People it are going to hate you for standing up for righteousness. Mix it know? up. Look what look what the Lord went through, and and He was perfect. And here we are as is uh, fallible human beings trying to do the right thing. Of course, we're going to get heat. Of course, we're going to get persecuted. And that's what the shame is in so many churches today. They they back down from the culture. They think they want to please everybody. I just want to make everybody happy, or or they think it's about being peaceful. And the reality is, they're just getting run over. And, and you have to take a stand. And so uh, you did, um, our church did, and many others have, and it's something that is making a difference in people's lives. And, I, and certainly uh, in El Cajon and, and beyond, because your message has gone out even farther, 
and other, other governmental agencies and other people are standing up. And just like for us, we've been able to mentor other churches and how to stand up and say, no, enough's enough. We're going to move forward. So that's something that's is, much is appreciated. Is there an appetite out there amongst the churches to have learned from the COVID situation to be stronger? Yes, for sure there is. I think um, I'm certainly in groups where uh, we've been able to encourage other churches because they saw what happened here. And instead of seeing that it was going, you know, you're going to be in jail. I remember one pastor joking with me, uh, we're just waiting to see what happens to you. If you get thrown in jail, then we know we can't open. But if you're okay, we're going to open. And so it was like, oh, thanks a lot. You're like the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, oh, boy. But I thought, I don't care. You know, we're going to do what's right no matter what. And so that there, there are churches that, that have even learned from it that stayed closed too long. Some closed down because they just stayed closed too long. But there's others that are able to make it through and go, we're never closing again. We're never following that kind of protocol again. We're never going to do that again because they saw what it was. <laughs> On the, on the end of it, and they've learned. And so that's what we're called to be a model church, and we want to be able to do that. There is a great book called The Psychology of Totalitarianism that mm. talks about mass formation psychosis, and it really explains how these kind of things have happened throughout history. But one of the, th one of the things that is um, indicative of each one of these movements is that, that the church must be closed down. Mm -hmm. Because if people have faith, they will never buy into the mass formation. Mm -hmm. And so most of these movements have kind of a totalitarian, communistic type of bent. Yeah. And you notice throughout history that totalitarians and communists cannot abide religion or, or faith in any way. Yeah, makes total sense. And, and you look at what was going on during COVID, there's always little hints, too, that so, something's up, something, something isn't right. You had Home Depots and Walmarts, and you had strip clubs and liquor stores open, but the church couldn't be open. And that was one of the things where it was like, wait a minute, no, this, this isn't what it seems to be. And instead of pastors like our team, we dug into the science, and we dug into the research, and we said, no, this isn't what it's purported. Certainly it's a virus. Certainly it harms people in different ways, just like the flu does. And some people it's devastating. Other people are able to handle it easily. And we saw all that and decided we need to provide a place for people to worship for their mental health. That was the number one thing. Suicide rates were going up. Ideation was up over 600%. And we said, we got to do something for our people. And that's what we want to encourage our people too, is, is we have to stand up and we have to push, push back. It's not just holding on to our <coughs> beliefs and saying, hey, we believe this and as Christians and kind of being that quiet soldier. It's like, not anymore. We got to be outspoken about these things. Well, I'm sure you have thought about this and realized this, but I am 100% positive that this was a dress rehearsal for more. Yeah. Uh, they're going to come back at us yep. with these kind of things. It's really been proven that a, um, an emergency is a great way to circumvent pesky things like the Constitution. Oh, yeah. And um, the Constitution gets in the way a lot of wants, what the left wants to do. 100%. So if we can circumvent the Constitution with an emergency, we're looking for emergency. You, you notice that um, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors just named homelessness as a, as a public health emergency. Yeah. Now, why do you think they did that? Mm -hmm. I, I think they did that because they're going to force municipalities to build homeless shelters they don't want. They're going to force all kinds of things on people. And they say, hey, we don't have to go through the normal process. We don't have to follow the law because it's a public health emergency. So they've, they've, set, the, um, they've set this in motion. Clearly. And we're going to see more of this. And, and hopefully that we've learned from this. And the only way to stop this is for people to stand up 
and say, you know what, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you call me or how you shame me or tell me I'm killing everybody. Right. I'm going to do, I'm going to use my brain. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do stupid things. But if, if you're doing something that's unconstitutional and it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to participate. Yeah, 100%. And what now, as you look at your, your political career, your mayor, what, what's down the road for you and, and <clears throat> you know, when is your term up? All those things that happen. What, what is that? Well, I, I may not be your mayor for more than three more weeks if I lose the next election. Yeah, so it's coming. I, <laughs> I, I'm up in 13 days. Okay. So I think I'm going to win. Um, yeah. But uh, I have no idea what's in the future. You know, it, it, there was a time when I thought that I could predict these things and plan these things out. Yeah. And in normal life, you usually can. You know, if you, if, if you want to move up in your company, you can kind of plot it out and yeah. I get this master's degree, I work hard, I, I do this, I do that, I make these sales projections, I'm, I, I get this job. Politics is just not that way. It, there's only so many jobs available in California for a conservative Republican like me. <laughs> little, <laughs> not much. There aren't that many places I yeah. can go. Um, I can tell you what I won't do. I'm not interested in going to Sacramento yeah. um, and being in the legislature just because I can get a lot more done being mayor and be in the majority and, and have a great platform that, from which to speak, mm. as opposed to going up to Sacramento, being far from home, and being um, in the, mi the ultra-minority, uh, just going up there to vote no. I mean, God bless Brian Jones and the other people that yeah. do these things. I mean, and it's, I'm not saying that what they do isn't important, but it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Um, I think the only job I'd be interested in would be Congress, because I, you know, I do watch what's happening in the, yeah. in the federal government, and uh, it would be really fun to be in, in the middle of that battle Mm -hmm. But that's up to God. There's only one seat that I would even be able to run for, and Daryl Issa occupies that. And he's a he's a behemoth. He's a, and he's a good friend of mine. He's you know I'm not going to ever run against Daryl. Yeah. So if Daryl were to open up that that spot, and uh, I were young enough and good enough health and everything, all the pieces fell in peace, I'd probably run for that that spot. But I'm not planning on it. Yeah. And with with the politics the way they are the the uh, really just gosh how difficult it is in politics to really stay grounded. There's there's you know so many good good people if you will started off uh, in politics with certain beliefs and ideals and they got into this political system and they completely changed as as a human being as a person. I how do you stay grounded? Okay, well, that's a, that, what a great question. So, most people go into politics thinking of it as a race. Hmm. Probably a lot how you thought of it when, when you got into the minor leagues. Your goal is to get to the majors, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're going to practice your fundamentals. You're going to do whatever. I don't know if there's politics involved in baseball, but, you know, what, yeah. you, you do whatever you have to do to mm -hmm. make that path happen. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get in the politics the same way. They say, I'm on the city council. I'd like to be mayor. After that, I'd like to, you know, maybe run for legislature. I'd, <clears throat> I'd do these things. And they're, they're charting that path. path. Okay. And that becomes the goal, yeah. right? When that becomes the goal, then you kind of, it's easy to get compromised because everybody's speaking into your ear. Hmm. So <clears throat> you say, hey, I'm kind of like to move in this direction. And there's somebody that's going to come along and say, you say, oh, don't you do that. Yeah. You're going to upset these people. There's a big pack out there. They, they're going to hate that. They have so much money. And, and then there's somebody on the other side, well, don't go too far this side because, you know, the, the, 
your base is not going to like that. And, and so you get this like narrow thing where basically you just don't say anything yeah. and you don't do anything. You need, and your whole job is to not offend anybody. You're just kind of trying to not be seen. And, you know, you show up at ribbon cuttings and you say, I'm a great guy. And then you hide and you, and you, and you don't follow any conviction because any conviction is costly. Yeah. I, um, think that is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for selling your soul. Hmm. It's a recipe for not having any convictions. I believe with uh, every ounce of my being that the only way to be an effective politician and to actually be a successful politician is to be authentic. It's to come in and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. I will treat all people with respect and love, but I'm not going to necessarily agree with you. Yeah. And I'm going to make decisions that you don't like. And I'm going to stand up for things that you wish I wouldn't stand up for. And I'm going to invite controversy sometimes when you wish I would just shut up. Mm. And if you do that, you'll either be thrown out of office or people will say, I love that guy. He's honest. He's real. And then you move up. But I, I, I think that if you are only focused on advancing your career, you're going to compromise yourself. That makes total sense. And I mean, it, it shows, too, that you have backbone. And that's what people, people want to see that. I don't know if it's backbone. I think it's just a mindset. It, it, for me, um, I never intended to get into politics. I told you that story earlier. Yeah. I, have a, I have a company that I started that's doing pretty well. I've got a nice, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love where I live. I love my church. I'm happy. If I lose this next election, I won't be thrilled, but I'll be fine. I'll, I'll move on. Um, I think that's, that's the way to, to, to approach it. Yeah. Um, it's too many people I know that everything that they have is wrapped up in being an elected official. They, it's their identity. It's their identity. It's everything. And um, if it becomes your identity, you, you, whenever you don't want to lose something, mm -hmm you will compromise to keep it. Yeah, that's why, you know, in war movies and mafia movies, they, they'll go after the person you love and say, you know, we're going to hurt your, your little girl if you don't do what we say. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's effective, right? Because people will do anything to protect their mm -hmm. whatever, whatever they, they value so much. But if you don't care that much about it and they say, if you do that, we're going to make sure you're thrown out of office, you're like, yeah, so be it. Yeah. Then you're a lot stronger. And so it's easy to be strong. It's easy to be brave because you have a different mindset. Yeah, makes total sense. Well, you're in the thick of it. You're in the battle, election coming up, all of those things. How can we, as a church, be praying for you specifically? Oh, <clears throat> well, just the fact that you pray for me in general. Yeah. You know, um, I read a book once called Destined for the Throne. Have you ever read it? Yeah. And, you know, in that book, it really shocked me because he said that um, he believes prayers are so important that if people don't pray, God will not act. Mm. And, that, that, and I don't know completely about the theology about that, but it did, it did burn something into my mind that prayer is not just something you do because you're told to and right. it, it's meaningless. It, I think prayer means a lot. Mm -hmm. it's, I don't understand all the complexities of it, but it's important to God. Yep. So people come up to me all the time. They say, I'm praying for you, and I prayed for you last night. My husband and I pray for you, and... I can't tell you how much that bolsters me and, and builds me up. And, uh, I, it, it's just fantastic. And I feel it. Good. I know 
I, there's this, this energy that I, I know people care about me. Yeah. I know they pray for me. I know they want the best for me and my family. And so it makes it so that when people come after me and, and attack me, and you know, they do, yeah. um, it doesn't feel like anything because I feel like uh, if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen. So the answer to your question is however you want to pray for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, obviously, um, we have the same concerns about health and finances and kids and safety that anybody else has. You know, for me personally, wisdom. If people pray that give me wisdom and courage and insight. And if I had those things, then I'm more effective. Fantastic. Well, you heard it right there, folks. Be praying for Mayor Bill Wells. Be praying for his family. We want to pray protection, guidance, direction, wisdom, all those things, because he's in the thick of it. He's in the thick of it, and we need to be there with him in prayer. And so we thank you guys for tuning in. Episode two with uh, Mayor Bill Wells from El Cajon. We love you guys. Be praying, and we'll see you on our next episode.